I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Adam, listen, it's a special occasion, and a special occasion demands special music. Wouldn't you agree? I wholeheartedly agree. Would you like me to hit the button? Hit the special occasion music. Thank you. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. I'm back from holidays, everybody. Uh, hello, I hope you missed me. I know I missed you, and I missed you too, Adam. I missed Craig, who is not here this week because he's, uh, I think he's just getting in from Primavera at this stage. Uh, he might be in the air as we speak. He's had a hell of a time. We might hear a bit about that later on. We'll definitely hear a lot more about it next week. But it is one of those weeks, Adam, where it's very much like, you got to just bring out the big guns and the biggest gun of all, Cork's favourite son, the voice of play, the No Encore original OG co-host, Cullum O'Regan is back, everybody. Hello. What is up? Uh, although I do have a feeling that really your process here was, who doesn't go to festivals anymore? <laughs> Maybe. It is festival season, as you were saying. Uh, Cullum, delighted to have you back on the show. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know you, of course, like I said, you were with us from the beginning. You uh, went off to do adult things like get married, you know, get a proper job, buy a house, etc. Uh, how's life treating you these days, buddy? You've been on the show recently, but it has been some time. Yeah, no, it's uh, very good. We are actually, uh, we're signing contracts for a house on Tuesday. So that's quite exciting. Thank you very much. Cheers. And uh, yeah, but it is an absolute pleasure to be back. Uh, as I mentioned when I was on the show before, I do kind of tune out of music a little bit. And so when you give me a shout to come on, I'm always like, oh, I really need to commit now. I need to catch up. What are the kids listening to? What's trending right now? And I dove in and it's Kate Bush. And I was like, I should be good to go. Yeah, you'll be fine. Like it's, I haven't uh, missed much. 
spoilers for the new section that will be in our new section but um it's gonna be a packed show um we decided to not go with an album review this week because a 16 track post malone record just sound like a bit too much work we have a lot of news to catch up on we've got a top five it's quite an interesting one we're going with top five goosebump inducing sport anthems that's my snappy title and um, we went back and forth about the idea of like doing like songs about travel or adventure given that i was on holidays and craig's currently on holidays but I figured a sport thing would be good to do because, number one, I went to a couple of baseball games. And number two, you like sports. So that's what we've gone with. Th- those, those are great boxes to tick. Although, let's not skip over it, Dave. Holly Bops, tell us. Oh, yeah, it was a good time. Well, the first thing I should say is, first of all, huge thank you to Fanula Jones for filling in two weeks ago for me. Um, another great cork icon, of course. Uh, she was great. And as she had said on the show, she was like... I, my, my goal whenever I come on to No Encore is to just, is to enrage Dave. She did not enrage me. She gave a great performance and her number one choice that week, which was top five songs with whistling in them, uh, she picked Fall Out Boys, The Kids Aren't Alright, which is one of my favourite songs. And when that came on, I just punched the air in triumph as I was waiting for my plane out of here. Um, as for my plane out of here, I went over to Toronto, second time going there. I want to say a huge, huge, huge thank you to Joshua Hughes, uh, brother Josh, who of course has previously appeared on this podcast, hopefully will again. Uh, and Eleanor as well, Eleanor Byrne, uh, they put me up for the week and indeed put up with me for the week, which is no easy task, as people will, of course, readily attest to. It was great fun. I love Toronto. It's a cool city. I went to baseball games. I went to a Slipknot gig. Adam has his hand up. Yeah, I just want a sidebar for a quick minute. You also went to the cinema. And what did you see, Dave? I saw Top Gun Maverick. I also uh, saw yes. Top Gun Maverick. What a <laughs> film. What a film. Yeah, it's great. I loved it. Uh, recent convert to Letterboxd over here, Adam. Shanahan just wants to talk about his movies at this stage. Go follow Adam on Letterboxd and me as well. Um, no underscore encore over there. So yeah, essentially, um, I don't like. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to turn this into a huge travelogue, but like the cinema experience was quite stressful. I think I've said before that I actually get really, really freaked out about going to the cinema when like you're sitting there and you go through all the fucking ads and stuff, and you're waiting for the name of the film to come up on the screen because I'm just paranoid that I'm in the wrong screen. And if I'm in okay. the wrong screen. And it comes up and it's like something completely different. I mean, I'm not going to get up and go because uh, people will know. They'll be like, look at that clown, you know. It's just totally embarrassing. So, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I can't get on board with it. It really, really upsets me. So, um, I love Top Gun Maverick. It was great. I sat there for approximately 40 minutes of ads and trailers and ads and trailers for trailers. There was a trailer for Top Gun itself. So I was like, well, that's disconcerting. Clearly, I'm in the wrong screen. But I sat there nonetheless and I hoped that it would be okay. And in the end, it was. The uh, very Canadian and American thing, I suppose. Uh, the film was 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 previewed by a video message from Tom Cruise himself thanking people for coming to the cinema and saying that you know, hey guys, this is a real movie with real stunts and real planes, and you know we made it for you. I hope you enjoy it. And I was like, oh, thanks, Tom. I well, think cons- I will. Considering that at Cannes he claimed to be like personally ringing the theatre owners to tell them that the movie was coming in the first place, it shouldn't surprise <laughs> you. <laughs> Uh, I love Tom Cruise unabashedly. I think he's the last great movie star. I love Top Gun Maverick. It was great. The whole holiday was excellent. I had a lovely, lovely time. Drank every single day, though, like I was in character in a fucking Brendan Behan thing. Um, so I'm feeling it now. And jet lag as well. My God. Going out. Delayed on the tarmac for an hour and a half when I got there. All kinds of shenanigans. Uh, screaming children should not be allowed on planes. That's my Irish Times letter Agreed. hot take of the Agreed. week. And nor should their parents. Nor should their parents. Uh, selfish people. Irresponsible, Yeah, you could say. But I'm back... 
I'm better than ever. And uh, is that all the preamble? There's lots of preamble, I suppose. Um, I think that's everything. Patreon, of course. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support this program. We put out a preview episode there last week in lieu of a regular one, which was No Oxcord, our usually monthly corner where we sit down and talk about new music that we've been enjoying, or old music as well. Old music, really. Um, God, you can tell I haven't done this in two weeks, right? <laughs> I'm all over the fucking map. Um, I think that's everything. Adam, have I forgotten anything? No, um, I just want to point out that that Patreon episode was probably one of my favourite No Ox chords that we did. Um, the selection was fantastic, I think, from everybody. Uh, I took a lot from yours and Craig's picks um, for that episode. So, yeah, highly recommend if no one has listened or if someone out there hasn't listened to it yet, please go back, listen to last week's episode. Really, really, really good. Okay, that's a ringing endorsement that I also fully heartily endorse. Um, oh, My Chemical Romance. I, I gave you the gag thing there recently. It was a good show. I enjoyed it. Um, there was a weird thing about the Queen. I think it's all been covered. It was two weeks ago. Fun to see them. Odd venue. Same with Slipknot in Toronto. Fun to see them. Not the best venue for them, but, you know, you can't pass up this kind of stuff. Even if, even if in Toronto on the same night that Slipknot were playing, the Armed were playing in a bar Ooh, downtown. Okay. And I was like, could this just happen on any other night, please? But no, so I missed them. My quest to see the armed goes on, but it was a pleasure to see Slipknot again for the sixth time, Adam. You said sorry, seven, it was six. Sorry, so excuse me. I stand corrected. Listen, tell you, like, you know, you, 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 you leave for one week, Cullum, and it just all goes to hell. Uh, shall we get going, Cullum, or is anything you want to announce before we get going? Now let's get going. All right, it's news time, everybody. You heard about the good news? Quite a lot of news to catch up on uh, from last week and this week, so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a melange, it's a bit of a hodgepodge. We'll start off with uh, band of the moment, the Strokes. Uh, Julian Casablancas. You know, people might be worried about the Strokes at the moment uh, for reasons that we'll get to, but don't worry, don't worry, Craig. Big Julian Casablancas is just fine. He sold a stake in the catalogue for an undisclosed sum to Primary Wave. I guess there's some kind of conglomerate. Uh, it includes a portion of both publishing rights and master's rights. Uh, we don't know how much money is on the line here and how much was sold, but it seems like he's, you know, got himself a bit of a chunk of change. This is an ongoing trend. Major artists, legacy artists, usually have been kind of selling their back catalogues. Bob Dylan, Neil Young, uh, Stevie Nicks as well, sold a stake in her publishing rights for about $100 million. Bob Dylan got five hundred million for his uh, for his for he sold the masters around. I mean, I don't know how I feel about this. Maybe it's a bit grim, or maybe it's just the cost of doing business. Cullum, what do you think? Yeah, I, first of all, I suppose yeah, like there is just like cold hard business involved here, and I think it sounds a lot juicier if you don't understand the record business in the first place, where people kind of imagine like he had a hundred percent of everything until now, when obviously that's not true. You're always dividing up the pie. It just depends in what different ways you do it. It's interesting that he sold the rights to the music he's done with The Strokes, but not his other projects. Because, in fact, Albert Hammond Jr., to the very same company, sold his music, but not The Strokes. So hmm. th they seem to have quite a little collection of, like, Strokes-ish bits and pieces that they could maybe jam together at some point. But what I really like about it is, like, there's a definite sort of fuck-them-kids element about it, where, <laughs> where it's just like, no, no, Jules made the money, Jules gets the money. If future generations want revenue, they can write hard to explain. <laughs> so it's 
are, are we looking at like a kind of a take that situation as well where like you know the chief songwriter because like I, I i don't know the breakdown of the strokes in terms of who writes what but i wouldn't have thought that julian i know he's the front man but i no, wasn't he, aware that he, he was the he business cer- man he certainly was uh, he, he was a sort of driving force behind is this it at the very least i know that much but uh, also, can we not move on without saluting the quote from oh, the, the, the partner of Primary Wave? He <laughs> said, The Strokes are one of the most important bands of this century and are beloved by a multi-generational audience who have made them a global festival headliner. And it's well, just really like, and we will now consolidate revenue streams to synergize all KPIs. 100%. But also, there's another, there's another beautiful outlay there because the last line, who have made them a global festival headliner. Now, that sounds like something that the Strokes could do in their sleep. Headline a festival somewhere around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially a festival that, you know, a certain somebody has been counting down literally three years to attend. Let's find out what happened when Craig Fitzpatrick finally got to Primavera, only to be met with some bad news. Here's Craig. The stroke stream is dead. Three years I've been harboring this dream, nurturing it, cradling it. And, um, COVID, man. Lying on my hotel bed, Grand Hotel Havana. The Champlain area, Barcelona, lying on my bed, thoughts running through my head, the Strug stream is dead. I mean, listen, I could be optimistic, day one of Primavera, sun is beating down out there, it's kind of like paradise, pavement coming up, Sharon Van Etten, um, and I'm a million miles away, <laughs> of course, of course they cancelled. <laughs> I did something really stupid when the news broke. I just, um, I was spiraling and, um, I might regret this, but, um, just impulse bought a day ticket to a Glasgow festival next month to go and see them. They're making me go to Glasgow. So, yeah, maybe the stroke stream is still alive. And so is the Primavera dream. Having a ball. Watch this space. Now, I mean, that is proper heart of darkness stuff from Craig there, isn't it? I mean, that's him in his, his hotel room. Uh, it should be noted that one of the strokes had COVID, they cancelled. Craig doesn't have COVID, to my knowledge. I hope he didn't pick it up while he was there. He did um, his very best, to be honest, because I think he just went <laughs> from one crowd to another for a week straight. I was getting tired <laughs> just reading his updates. <laughs> so I love that though like you get the you get the hum of the air conditioning the passing traffic I can picture the room and I can just see like real dim light and just a very sad Craig doing the rounds Adam I imagine he has the curtain shut <laughs> like that's all I can think of he's like got the curtain shut and like uh, the brightest day that he's witnessed in the last three years probably like outside of his his homeland and he's like gone home I, I should know as well I'm not sure if he sent it if he tweeted it or just sent it to us but there's the photo of him just sitting like under a palm tree in the fetal <laughs> position <laughs> he tweeted it at Craig yeah. on Twitter if you missed that one yeah. full on George Michael and Arrested Development sad vibes um, we'll, we'll get into it more we might hear more from Craig in a moment or two we'll see we'll see how he gets on but in the meantime um, from, from our vantage point people who didn't go to Primavera um, day one seemed to be a complete fucking disaster Cullum how much attention were you paying to this? So I was paying a little bit 
bit. I happened to be with Brother Yosef, friend of the show, uh, who was travelling to Primavera for this weekend. So it was almost as though Craig was his proxy, just kind of testing out <laughs> crowd management protocols and water availability. And it didn't sound positive on the Friday. Uh, things did seem to kind of improve over the weekend, though. I, I, like, I, I, I presume much like everything, sporting events and all the rest of it, there are sort of teething problems as everyone gets back to normal. There are a load of probably like security professionals who've departed in the sort of two or three years where nothing was happening. And now everyone's kind of scrambling to get on top of it again. They've definitely seemed to have oversold the festival because, you know, they need to make money. Um, so yeah, apparently things did get a, like a bit worrying at one or two stages on Friday in terms of crushing or whatever, but thankfully I haven't heard anything of the sort since. Yeah, I was speaking to some people who were there who said that they did see that they, they felt quite unsafe on day one. Um, it, it ranged from, you know, 90 minute long bar queues in which you would get like half a beer at the end of it and miss sets while you go to get it to lack of water, to generally kind of bad admin in general. And on top of that, yeah, there was reportedly some security concerns as well. Um, it seemed to clear up quite quickly by day two. It seemed like they kind of got their act together. And then from that point on, they had a ball. Um, Forbidden Fruit Festival took place last weekend in, in, in Dublin as well. And beyond, apart from terrible weather on day two, it seemed to actually be very, very packed and like a, a real, you know, like everyone's we're back at festivals. But I think they ran out of beer or drank at some stage as well. You're like, there's a part of you that is like, yeah, fair enough enough and like you can't get the staff you literally can't get the staff you're seeing these problems with Dublin airport and airports around the world even when I went to Canada we were on the ground for a fucking hour and a half because they were backed up in immigration uh, it is possible that despite the fact that we're allowed to do things again the world just isn't ready for that um, however at the same time you've had three years don't run out of beer at a festival this is outrageous but look I wasn't there Craig Fitzpatrick was though and he has managed to put together another small little kind of on the ground report for us let's check back in with Craig let's see how he's doing Okay, so I was in a bad place um, in the last recording. And am I still in a bad place? I mean, I'm back in League Slope. But listen to the joy in my voice. And like everything else, obviously. But um, yeah, essentially, friendship ended with the Strokes until Glasgow. And now Phoenix are my best friends again. Really fitting to see dogs on the show. Um, because... I've kind of atoned or made up or closed the circle for that like cancelled Dublin show we all missed out on a few years ago. And I've seen them. They didn't cancel. Um, so it was a really nice way to kind of cap the week. Uh, now it did involve queuing from like four o'clock in the day. And they were on at midnight. They came on at midnight. Um, it was a really nice venue. But like a lot of standing Crying Bin were great. There was other acts. <laughs> Ride were great. It was like a really, it was a midweek show, but it felt like, oh, this could have been one of the best days of Weekend One. Speaking of Weekend One, um, let's cast our minds back to that. I'll keep this really brief, but yeah, it was hell on earth for um, the opening part, I would say, of day one anyway, where it's just like, um, when you see Dinosaur Jr. playing to like a Live Aid size crowd, you're like, this might be a little oversold. And it's like two hours to get water. And somehow Tame Impala played last night and kind of made everything all right. And we got a good spot for, for Pavement, who were having a great time and sounding tight. And that was incredible. And then by the next day, they kind of sorted the logistics out to a huge degree. It was still oversold, but it was way more comfortable and way more like what I'd heard about. And I won't go into... The logistics, I guess. 
Um, Tyler was great. I think new patron saint of the show. Caroline Polichek, incredible Coors cover. Um, Beck, what a showman. I've never seen Beck before. It's a really good time for Scientologists. Um, Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, the crews are in Beck. They're doing it. You can't fault them. You can fault them, but um, yeah. Parquet Court's amazing. Um, It was just a very, very good weekend. Barcelona's great. Then the kind of midweek shows were, again, ridiculously hard to get into in terms of, like, I just didn't get into any of them until Phoenix. Um, There's more I can tell you. There's anecdotes. There's um, abandoning a bus because of a protest um, on the way to the airport trying to get home. There is some porta potty hijinks. Um, Nothing gross. Kind of embarrassing. We'll get to it. I want to hear you guys. Love yous. See yous. Bye. Okay, um, where to start? Uh, first of all, uh, shocked to the revelation that Craig has never seen Beck before. I would have thought yeah. that happened numerous t- numerous times. Um, Colm, Craig references a Phoenix gig there that was supposed to take place in Dublin a few years ago. It wasn't cancelled because of the pandemic. This was pre-all that. I think it's because frontman Thomas Myers had a big night out in Glasgow the night before. And I remember... Uh, we, you in particular, were devastated. They're supposed to play the Olympia, I believe. Never came back. However, yeah. would you be up for queuing from four... Did I hear him right? Four in the afternoon until midnight in the hot sun to get in. I don't know. I don't know if I'd do that for anybody. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Although, then again, I can only imagine that, like, the six previous days of gallivanting had left him with no energy to do anything else, really. He was probably just thankful to be standing still for a while. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, there is, sorry, he is back. He is back on Irish soil. A delirious man back on Irish soil. Back on the show next week, of course. Um, there's one final message from Craig. It's a lot shorter than the ones we've heard before. Uh, I think he forgot to, to, to give a shout out to a few people here. Um, this one kind of doesn't make sense at one point, but ultimately the sentiment is clear. So we'll, we'll check in with Craig one last time. And yes, I'm really so ridiculously tired that um, I went toilet anecdotes. And it was actually a, a urinal. Well, it wasn't even a urinal, but we'll, we'll get to it. Um, rather than shouting out Royal Yellow, former co-host, uh, Mark O'Brien and Kate and Lewis and all of that crew who were lovely. And it was really, really great hooking up with them on day two after day one was a distant memory. They really enhanced the vibe. Craig Fitzpatrick there, roving reporter. You've done a man's job, sir. I hope Ro- you sleep all weekend. Roving reporter, urinal user. <laughs> Apparently so. But uh, I echo the shouts, though, to Mark, Kate and Louis. Great people. And it uh, sounded like it was a great time. But, um, you know, legends all. But we'll move on to other legends, Cullen. Back to our news section. Um, there's a new Queen song coming. I don't mm. know why I put this in the running order. It's, <laughs> just, it's such a Radio Nova story. It's a throwback to the rock report. It absolutely is. <laughs> so, Roger Taylor and Brian May are milking that Mercury corpse one more time as they tend to do uh, allegedly don't sue us um, they shared the quote revelation during an interview with Zoe Ball last weekend they said we found a little gem from Freddie that we kind of forgotten about and it's wonderful it was a real discovery it's from the Miracle Sessions and I think it's going to be out in September um, so they were asked who found the track which will be called Face It Alone Brian May said it was kind of hiding in plain sight we looked at it many times and thought we can't really rescue that but in fact we went in there again and our wonderful engineering team said we can do this and this it's like stitching bits together but it's beautiful and it's touching it's a very passionate piece says roger taylor i don't know man this strikes me as a little bit like you know kind of selling prince's music when he wouldn't want it to be sold using holograms etc this sounds like they're picking the bones of a demo recording and using modern technology to kind of stitch together and create a song how do we feel about this i mean i don't mind the posthumous release thing generally but i would encourage like you know have a good route around 
like like just a grand poke about. We'll wait and then like give us a load of them at the same time or something rather than drip feeding over the course of 30 years or something. Um, it, it also, and I know just because we've discussed it on the podcast before, it always kind of rankles a little bit whenever I hear people like Brian May talking about uh, you know, Freddie Mercury's genius and brilliance and stuff when that story of Bohemian Rhapsody where they felt that his death should just be halfway through the movie because it was really <laughs> only half of the story of Queen to that point. And then the real story begins as yeah. these brave soldiers <laughs> carry on with the band. Yeah, no. It's amazing uh, work. I mean, considering what we got, you know, could it have been worse? Have you seen Bohemian Rhapsody? I, I saw it back, yeah, when it was released. I haven't, I haven't revisited it. Yeah, no, there's not really much cause to. Um, but, you know, we may talk about further Hollywood ventures into music soon. Mm. But first, um, the Queen thing, I get it. It makes people emotional, and that's understandable. And when it comes to emotion, when it comes to one of the great emoters, it's time to check back in with Liam Payne. So, uh, Liam Payne of One Direction. Sorry, Payne. can't hold it in. It's just ridiculous. Oh, my God. Do you have the clip? You don't, you don't have the clip hanging around, do you? Because I, I know that, like, are you talking about the Liam Payne's Big Explain, that one? Or yeah, yeah, t- after the Oscars. After the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm happy to hear it again. I'm, still, me, I'm not still on my holidays. I'm back to work, but I feel like I'm still on my holidays. It. Let me see. I'm sure I have yeah. it somewhere. I... So we're going we're gonna to talk about Liam Payne in a second, but I think maybe, you know, if, like, it doesn't get old, though, does it? Like, it's a joyful, joyful clip. Colin, I'm sure you've seen the Liam Payne, Will oh, Smith situation. Listen, Dave. I don't get deep about these things, but I'm a big Liam Payne clip fan, I'll be honest with you. Oh, thank you. Okay, I've found a clip. It is, it it may take some like scrolling through, but in the big edit, you're not going to be able to hear that. So bear with me. And to be honest with you, Will Will Smith actually used to live behind my house. I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing his son and his daughter very well. And we did Men in Black 3 with him. Um, I believe whatever he felt that he did, he had the right to do. I also felt there were three losers in one fight. He didn't know, being Chris Rock. He didn't want to do what he had to do, being Will Smith. And she did nothing, being Jada. And it's a very sad thing, but there was a powerful moment for me to sit and watch one of the world's best emoters in the ever we've seen speak from the heart and I would rather take the beauty out of the situation than take the pain um, but I had to leave my chair I'll be honest with you it, it, it cut me really deep and I don't I don't get deep about these things but I'm a big I'm a big movie fan I'll be honest with you and um, out of a horrible moment there was a little bit of beauty in what came on and I'm sure everyone's very apologetic about what happened it shouldn't have happened um, but ask yourself what would you do in the same situation I don't know how we'd all react we're all very human right so, if I may, because um, it, it just unlocks so much potential, doesn't it, every time you hear it. Has he released a song or an album called Take the Pain yet? Because he really, really should, shouldn't he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He get that tattooed on himself somewhere. Maybe. Um, why are we talking about Liam Payne? Why are we dragging that clip up again? Well, the clip, because it's funny. And why we're talking about him is because about a week ago, he did a new interview. He was on Logan Paul's podcast, which is called the impulsive podcast is that good um, yeah um it's not bad i gotta say he logan paul not a fan but he was very good at wrestlemania and i don't know why he didn't stay on as a top heel because he was excellent uh gotta give him credit for that anyway liam payne was on the show and he discussed his time in one direction 
And he said how he wasn't used to rowdy guys, didn't have many friends, and preferred to spend time with his dad. That's quite lovely. Um, Then he was asked, well, who was rowdy in One Direction? He said, Louis Tomlinson was wild. He wanted to be wild. He's got this spirit. He said, Louis is his best mate now, but in the band, we hated each other. Like, come to blows, hate each other. It was close. Later in the interview, Liam spoke further about life in One Direction and was asked pointedly if he and other members had ever, in fact, come to blows. We came very close to points, Liam said. There was one moment where there was an argument backstage and one member in particular threw me up against a wall. So I said to him, if you don't remove those hands, there's a high likelihood you'll never use them again. Now, hang on. Go on, that Colin. is bullshit. <laughs> what, sorry, what 1920s, what 1920s gentleman is he? There's a high likelihood, sir, that you'll never use those paws again. It's like, that. that is not a verbatim quote, no fucking way. No, it, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a great line, but, like, you know that in the heat of the moment it was more like, God, be a twat, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he added that the unnamed member then, quote, took his hands off. Uh, he also discussed his previous rivalry with Zayn Malik. Uh, he said that, like, you know, they kind of had differences of opinion. But there's a weird thing where it says, um, Liam said there are many reasons he didn't like Zayn, but that he but he would always be on his side. There's, what? It's <laughs> a bit of a contradiction. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think from what I, I mean, I didn't listen, you know, from the fucking life's too short, but... <laughs> I think what he kind of meant was that, like, because he's familiar with everything Zayn Malik has been through in his life and the fact that they had this really weird experience, I guess, as children, basically, that, you know, there, there's a bond that he kind of gets that things are weird for him, which I guess he would, because really there's only those five truly understand what it was like to be in that whirlwind and like grow up in a bubble. Yeah, and Matt Cardle, he also had the exact same experience having won the X Factor <laughs> oh, that year. Of course. You talk about your whirlwind successes. You got your Horns, your Styles, your Cardles. Um, yeah, there's a good Liam Payne line as well. Liam Payne-ism when he says, um, you know, I'm so misunderstood by myself more than anyone. It's like, all right, <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> He's just not expecting his own accents or something. So we had this discussion kind of briefly on the show recently, like because of his post-Oscars performance, Craig was saying that Liam Payne has skyrocketed to the top of his favourite One Direction list. Cullum, mm. who's your favourite One Direction member? Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said that I had any tremendous grow for any of them. And right now, yeah, it might actually be Liam Payne because he is box office, basically. Uh, as he alluded to, there's quite a bit from Zayn Malik that is difficult to get behind. And... Niall Horan, while he seems like a good bloke, it's it, it's just too normal for me. Like, you know, feels like they're ten a penny in Mullingar, to be perfectly honest. And then, <laughs> if I'm truthful, and this is moving us neatly onto our next story, <laughs> I have never been entirely won over by Harry Styles. I think he's okay. charmed a lot of people. I think he's impressed a lot of people in more than one field, of course, including his film career. And that is the subject of an interesting discussion this week because Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, which is landing in theatres in two weeks' time, I believe. That's correct. He has been talking about casting who was going to play Elvis Presley and he rejected Harry Styles because he said he's Harry Styles. He said he's already an icon. Harry and I came to a place genuinely, I mean, he was just desperate to put on the suit and explore. He's such a great spirit and I have nothing but great things to say about Harry Styles. Now, this makes quite a bit of sense to me because if you're going to try to find somebody to play a really famous musician, maybe picking another very famous musician isn't the way to go. 
How do you feel about it, Dave? And indeed, how um, do you feel about Harry Styles, the actor? Uh, well, the thing is, I mean, <clears throat> well, first of all, I will say real quick on, on Niall Horan, I interviewed him for Joe a few years ago and it was like on a busy press junket day and I was trying desperately to get like a proper, proper interview with him. Like, can I hang out with the guy for a few hours? Can we go for a couple of pints? You know, whatever. Like the dream, of course, would be I'm hanging out with him for like, you know, I'm going on tour with the guy. But those stories only happen if you work for fucking Rolling Stone. And even then, and I was trying really hard. In the end, I got 20 minutes and it's not quite the same thing. And I did a decent piece and he is interesting, but I think he was quite guarded as you fucking would be. Um, you know, often with these people, the most interesting thing is what they don't tell you. And that's that's entirely their right. And I think Harry Styles kind of picks up that baton as well. Um, as for Harry Styles, yeah, look, I mean, first of all, music-wise, uh, Craig and Fanula reviewed the album Harry's House two weeks ago. I reviewed it on RTE Arena, having only gotten to listen to it that morning. And at the time, I was like, oh, it's three, three and a half out of five. I think it's more of a six out of ten. I think it's a decent album. It's very much him doing the pastiche thing that he's continued to do, but I think he does it well, but it is lacking in substance. As for Harry Styles, the actor, I've always been more interested by Harry Styles, the actor. Now, granted, he hasn't done much yet, but this is going to be a big year for him. He's got, um, was it Don't Worry My Darling coming out this year with Florence Pugh and directed by Olivia Wilde, who's also in the movie, who's also his partner. Um... He's in Dunkirk as well, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, and he's like a soldier. He doesn't have a ton to do in it, but I actually thought he acquitted himself quite well. Um, I think he's got serious, serious potential. He's obviously a fiercely good-looking guy, you know, like photogenic, etc., but I think he's got something. I'll get him back, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Baz Luhrmann, however, like, yeah, thought he was too iconic to play Elvis, and I get it. I mean, I, I don't think it's... I don't think it's false from him to say that. I think he means... I think he's like, in this day and age... It would just be distracting, and it would. Um, Austin Butler is the actor who's playing Elvis, who I guess he was a Disney kid, possibly, but he's like, you know, a serious actor these days. He's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's a member of the Manson family uh, who meets a grisly end at the end of that movie. Spoilers for a film I've seen eight times now, uh, and boy, I'd watch another eight times. It's and just so spoilers damn good. for supporters of the Manson family who were hoping it would all end well. <laughs> well, it, it, the film, have you seen the film? Yeah, I have. Yeah, heightened reality ending, as like like as you'll know. So they do change some things. That was another thing, by the way, when I went to see fucking Top Gun. Like, when I walked into the theatre, there was a PSA, and it's, hello, I'm Austin Butler, and in two weeks' time you're going to see my movie, and blah, 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 blah. Which I guess, like, I quite like that. Like, I'm like, dude, bring that over to Europe. Like, make that more of a thing. I, w- I want, like... You know, I want Harry Styles to come up on the screen and be like, all right, mate, here's my new film. Um, You know, hope you enjoy it. Um, Yeah, I think it would have been distracting. Um, But fair play to him for trying. As for the Elvis movie, it's getting very, very mixed reviews. I will see it. I am intrigued by it. Um, Austin Butler's been saying some weird stuff, though. Like, he's saying that he he got so far into the character that he basically had to be... Well, Baz Luhrmann said this about him, that he basically had to be deprogrammed because he didn't know who he was for the last year or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, do, like, is that actor bullshit or is that just like, hey, fair play, you're committing to this art to such a degree and to play this iconic... Like, how, how can you play Elvis? I mean, like, that, that must be a head fuck, right? It has to be. My voice is breaking because my throat is dry, not because I'm emotional. <clears throat> there but we like, go. Yeah, and he said, like, he was hospitalized the day after filming because of a virus that simulated appendicitis and he was bedridden for a week. And is that because he was being Elvis so hard? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Uh, have you seen the trailer for this film? I haven't. So... I mean, Tom Hanks plays Colonel Parker, and his character, the voice he's using, the way he looks, he looks like, he he feels like something out of a Dickens novel. I don't know. I mean, Baz Luhrmann is known for excess and kind of, you know, being OTT and stuff, and it it can work, and it it can not work. Um, 
I'm very interested to see it. I wouldn't be a big Elvis guy, though. I mean, you know, like I'm not going to be. I'm not. I'm not a purist going into this movie. But by the looks of things, it looks like Austin Butler certainly looks the part. Maybe arguably more so than Harry Styles. I don't know. You know? Yeah, I mean, the other thing as well, though, and you know, we discussed this with the aforementioned Bohemian Rhapsody, and indeed, you've discussed it many times on uh, No Popcorn, the film tie-in to this podcast, is that there is sometimes a fine line between just impersonating a very, very, very famous singer or falling into the kind of jukebox movie territory and bringing something new to the table. I think that's the one thing that excites you about Baz Luhrmann is that like whether it was, you know, Shakespeare or kind of like classic musicals or the great American novels or whatever, he's always got a take. And so this won't just be a standard Elvis biopic. Whether it actually succeeds or not is maybe another question. Yeah, nice use of fine line there, by the way, a.k.a. Harry Styles' second album title. Look, you you think you've left this business, Cullen, but it can never leave you. This is the thing. Um, so, uh, speaking of business, some rather ugly business, uh, must be said. The Johnny Depp... Amber Heard trial has, of course, concluded. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty on that one, except to say that I do find it quite alarming, um, some of the reaction uh, to to the verdict. I didn't see too much of it, though. I was, you know, on halls with, like, you know, limited internet capabilities. But, you know, there seems to be an awful lot of adulation for Johnny Depp in the world at the moment. Um, Sam Fender, among the people cheering him on, uh, Sam Fender... Uh, Newcastle, the 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 Geordie Springsteen has uh, issued an apology. After he is the fucking Geordie Springsteen, he he might want to deny it, but like, you know, I think he's really good. Seventeen and going under is a great song, but you can't tell me, mate, that that's not straight out of the boss's playbook. <laughs> anyway, Sam Fender has issued an apology after sharing a photograph of himself with Johnny Depp and Jeff Beck, who have an album coming out next month. By the way, did you know this? It was announced today. Uh, Full press release. Yeah, the PR campaign is well and truly working for Johnny Depp. Um, So he posted a photograph with them. uh, When the verdict came out, they were drinking in England at a bar, and he put up the words, Serious Heroes. Now, he deleted it, of course, after some backlash, and he said, I want to apologise. I was invited to briefly meet a musical legend and an actor who has been in almost every film I've watched growing up. Okay, that's a bit of a... Might want to diversify there. <laughs> like, big fan of the tourist, are you, Sam? Uh, he goes, I went along, we chatted music, and without thinking, I took a photograph and I posted it as it was pretty surreal. Fender, and like, you know, I'm not casting aspersions here, but you got to think he's probably fucking locked, right? You know what I mean? Like, all right, here I am with the lads. Sure. Uh, Fen- Fender, again, allegedly. Fender added that he called Depp and Beck heroes in reference to their careers, while acknowledging that in the context of the trial, it was severely misinformed. I now realize it was a poor choice of words and timing, but that's irrelevant. It was nice even disrespectful to those who relate to any of the issues highlighted in the trial and the broader issues it poses. I didn't think it through and I should have. I can't really say anything other than it was ill-judged and I was ignorant with regards to the trial as a whole and thoughtless on what my post could imply. I realise this entirely and for that I am deeply sorry. Now I haven't kept up with the fallout to the apology but I think that's pretty thorough from him. I, I must say I thought it was a very solid apology yeah and like whatever sort of let down he's committed in terms of his judgment and it's poor i mean to be fair it's poor yeah like you know no no, like you suggested he might have had tied a few on like there's no amount of alcohol that you could have been like oh i forgot everything that has happened but i thought he did a very good job of apologizing fair play yeah, and even if you weren't watching the live YouTube streams or anything, yeah, this thing has been so heavily publicised that I don't think it's possible to not have a, a basic knowledge of what was uh, taking place in, in the trials, you know? No. So, 
So yeah, look, listen, you know, lesson learned for Sam Fender, you would hope, and that's all we will talk about on that story, because it is grim as fuck. Um, yeah, lighter on. news to, to, to almost wrap up. Kate Bush has bent the knee to ailing streaming giant Netflix. Uh, Stranger Things is out, Colm, it's out in the world, the new season. Have you been watching it? I have actually watched a little bit of it, yeah. It's, <coughs> it's my good lady, who's a bigger fan than I am, but uh, Jesus Christ, it's indulgently long. So this is the thing. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm catching up with some TV. I'm watching the I'm watching the new season of The Boys, and I'm finally getting around to the final um, season of Better Call Saul, which mm-hmm. I'm enjoying. Um, hashtag better than Breaking Bad. Anyway, so we'll move on. Uh, we'll get to that debate. Um, Stranger Things, a f- show that I don't think ever should have gone more than one season. I will probably finish it, but I did see this. It was like it was revealed a few weeks ago how long the episodes were going to be, um, and I believe they're all over an hour so far. I think the entire finale, when it finally arrives, is going to be two and a half hours long. Yes, I mean, every episode that I've seen thus far has been 75, 80 minutes sort of range, which, like, not to sound like a really old man, but, like, that's a movie in my book. (laughs) Movies are getting longer also, but I will save that for a separate podcast. That's fair. And listen, fairness, we're indulging as well. This will be a long episode, but you know, we have a lot to talk about and I haven't talked to you in this medium for quite some time. So I hope, I hope you'll allow us to indulge yourselves, listener. Um, Kate Bush, though, uh, is experiencing a massive career resurgence and also is now known by all kinds of teens around the world because they used running up that hill in a pivotal moment in the new show. Have you got to that moment yet? Yeah, and it's actually used repeatedly as a kind of a motif. I won't say too much, obviously, but uh, yeah, it's there a lot. There's a reason why it's had such a significant impact on her popularity in the past week or so. Which it has. Um, I'm, I'm like she's topping charts all over the world in places she never topped charts before. It's the most Shazam song of all time or something. Like every day there's a new thing. Uh, and it goes to show you the power that this show still actually wields. Um, to the point that she herself issued a statement. Do yeah. you have it to hand? And I do indeed, yeah, because she doesn't speak outwardly too often. Uh, she said, You might have heard that the first part of the fantastic, gripping new series of Stranger Things has recently been released on Netflix. It features the song Running Up That Hill, which is given a new lease of life by the young fans who love the show. I love it too. Because of this, Running Up That Hill is charting around the world and has entered the UK at number eight. It's really all exciting. Thank you very much to everyone who supported the song. And I wait with bated breath for the rest of the series in July. Which might be the most jarring thing for a lot of fans, I think, to imagine (laughs) that the enigmatic sort of ethereal Kate Bush watches Netflix. I don't see it, man. I, I think this is a publicist who's gone rogue, as far as I'm concerned, who wants early access to that finale. You I, mean, know? I think I've mentioned before in this podcast that I once interviewed her nephew. He was part of like a proggy band from Canterbury. Um, his name was Raven Bush, by the way. I recommend you turn on safe search before you try Googling him. Um, but I suppose entirely predictably, I was like, so what's it like, you know, having Kate Bush as an aunt when you're working in the music industry? And he was like, I mean, she's just my aunt. Like, you know, if I go over, she'll like make a pot of tea and we'll have a chat and stuff. And she's just a normal lady. And I was like, yeah, no, okay, that figures. Yeah. She's not dancing out the back in flowing robes and shit. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. know. It's a bit like, I don't know, Bjork saying she misses Quibi or something. It's like, (laughs) I didn't see it coming. They're just like us. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm in two minds about this whole thing because, like, who am I to say that? And this is how, you know, great art survives, right? And, like, you know, it gets passed down to generation to generation. And I, I just can't help but find the kind of TikTokification, mm-hmm. uh, 
got that one out somehow of this whole thing to be just a little bit kind of grim in, in a weird way and I also I just think Stranger Things is tired as fuck but again you know I don't want to be big bad cynic Dave and be like no but like it's just my first reaction to this was kind of to roll my eyes but again I'm old these kids aren't. It's good that they're listening to a classic song, right? That's yeah, a good it, thing. It, it, like I say, it, it's actually kind of like woven in in a relatively okay way. I was way more thrown by the use of what you and I can only identify as Jungle Boy's entrance music during a roller disco. Oh, wow. Tune. Uh, that's such a good song. <laughs> oh, it's an absolute banger, but I was taken right out of the moment. Yeah, AEW superstar and Luke Perry's son, Jungle yeah. Boy. What is that song though? It's like oh, 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 oh it's called Tarzan Boy. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, and speaking of music in odd settings and that kind of stuff, um, the perfect lead into our top five this week, Cullum. Um, like I say, I went away and I went to a couple of baseball games. How'd you um, find it? Oh, I love it, man. I I find it really soothing. And oh, yeah. there were good games. Well, the first one in particular was like a really competitive. It was Toronto Blue Jays versus the uh, Chicago White Sox. Mm-hmm. And uh, which was interesting because I went to see. So like I, I had a great day the day after I got there. So Josh and I watched the Champions League final at like, well, I was going to say at three in the afternoon. But of course, it was four in the afternoon because it was delayed by an hour. And a, and um, a Camila Cabello concert. The Camila Cabello thing, uh, let's, like, let's talk about that for just a second. I mean, that was outstanding. Because Craig and I had talked about this on the show before, how we were like, this just seems really out of place. Yeah. And then it could not have been more out of place at the time when there was rioting happening outside and people being tear gassed and all kinds of horror actually happening. And again, I'm no Liverpool fan, but Liverpool fans, of course, you know, like the last thing you want to see Liverpool fans is caught up in a fucking uh, a crush or any kind of stadium issues. Like, it's just, it's it's awful. And it sounds like UEFA really fucked up massively and then tried to blame the fans. It was an absolute disaster. Um, but Camila Cabello was inside doing her thing and then of course she put out a tweet that she later deleted when I guess someone caught her up when she was like going back over my performance last night and I can't believe people booed us during like you mm. know or sang their sang their team songs while we were while we were playing like my team and I worked so hard on this thing to to get the right vibes you know, and kick the show off properly. So, yeah, I mean, this is the problem, isn't it, with kind of the weird commodification of the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show coming to the UEFA thing, coming to the Champions League final, and outside you got found kids crying. Like, it's a very... Fun. Now, to be fair, she clearly didn't have the knowledge, but again, it was like, eh, that's a bad tweet, that's a bad tweet, that's a bad tweet. Yeah, and, and also, I, I said to somebody at the time, imagine they flipped around, right, and uh, allowed Bose and Shamrock Rovers to have a five-a-side game on the stage at Three Arena before she comes on there like last week and and then they tweet out why were all the Camilla Cabello fans so unwelcoming of our one touch football game Uh, you know yeah it's a strange one Uh, but I will say loved watching that Champions League final loved watching Liverpool lose and then I went to see Toronto versus Chicago Fire in person so it was weird that Toronto were playing Chicago in soccer and in baseball that week so I loved the baseball had a great time Um, it's just really fun like I love sitting there having a beer and watching baseball. Oh yeah. Uh, what I don't love is in between plays, and this happens a lot. The fucking they go to people in the crowd and they put them on the big screen. Right. I don't like it, man. I don't like it. And like the entire time I'm sitting there being like, they're gonna fucking pick me. It's gonna happen. It didn't happen. And I went to two games, and there's times in my row and people were like going, "Oh my god!" And I was like, "Oh no, it's getting closer. It's getting closer." But then, of course, there's this weird pageantry as well. Like, you know this more than I do. I've only been to, like, these, you know, this is my second and third ever baseball game. But, like, the amount of times that they'll just play random music for 10 seconds to hype up the crowd and all kinds of stuff, it's completely wild. Uh, So here's an example, right, you know, of a track that was played while I sat there and I was just jaw-hitting the floor. So they blasted this. (laughs) 
So yeah, that's um, definitely used for a WWE pay-per-view theme. That's a Headstrong by Trapped, who uh, unfortunately, I believe, turned to be weird anti-vax losers. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't have played them on the show. But, you know, that song comes on in between, like, lots of kind of shit Drake knockoffs. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Trapped? Like, what's this being played for? Why am I mentioning all this? Because I noticed this while I was there. I noticed that uh, there's a team called the Los Angeles Angels who were having a bad week. They're being whomped. I think yeah. the New York Yankees beat them by like 10 runs to nil or something at one stage or 9-1 or something. And Josh actually said to me, he, he, he was like, they're not a bad team, but like they were getting battered. They've, they've genuinely got perhaps the two best players in baseball right now, but they're just doing terribly. Yeah, and so so like I I haven't been necessarily keeping up with my baseball yet since I've come home, but I did see this today on Stereogum, and I was like, well, this is just wonderful kismet, isn't it? Um, so the Los Angeles Angels baseball team were playing in, against the Boston Red Sox uh, on Wednesday of this week. I think they were on they were on thirteen straight losses, and without two of their best players, supposedly. So. Um, in a bid to try and hype themselves up and overcome this this burden that they're in. It was decided amongst the team that every single batter for their walk-up music would play Nickelback songs. Exclusive Nickelback music being played during this match. And in the end, they lost 1-0. They lost by one run to nil. What a terrible game. But, like, mm. they lost. It didn't work. But their um, their interim coach said, to explain this, his, his rationale was, I like Nickelback. The entire game, I got the songs in my head. I can't stop singing. And the next guy comes up. I don't know who it was decided to do this, but it was neat for a while. Yeah, only for a little while, but there yeah, you go. especially until you lost. <sighs> what Nickelback song would you walk out to, though? Oh. Photograph? Oh, my... I mean, honestly, I have not thought an awful lot about this. I imagine you could get, like, seven seconds of Rockstar to sound okay as you go to the moon. <laughs> Well, uh, like I said before, much like the time you brought me to Macklemore and it changed my life, I did see Nickelback live in 3 Arena and I got tanked enough for it to be amazing, and it was. But that's not what we're here to talk about, guys. It's top five time. Top five goosebump-inducing sports anthems. Colin Morrigan, what went into your, I guess, your prep, your mind? How did you tackle this one? Yes, so, I mean, obviously we used a pretty kind of broad church in terms of gathering these. It was going to be songs that are played in stadiums, songs that are used as kind of theme songs and stuff like that. Um, You know, the sort of jock jams, as they call them in the States. And like, listen, as a man who's jumped around to House of Pain plenty of times, I'm okay with those, but I've kind of tried to steer clear of that area. I've also, importantly, tried to steer clear of the overly personal, like trying to explain why Sunderland fans are obsessed with Republic is ready to go. And um, hopefully have put together a list with a little bit of variety. Nice, man. Nice. Yeah, I tried to stay away from, you know, as many kind of theme tunes as possible, but there may be some in here. I tried to stay away from wrestling um, and I tried to just kind of go with my gut, really. I mean, it's one of those ones you can really get into the weeds on, but we're going to have a bit of fun with this one. That's the whole point of it. So with that in mind, Cullum, you're our guest. I would like you to take us away.
there is perhaps recency bias at play for my number five, but I really have found it incredible over the past few months. That's Amo Heed by Daffid Yuan. And it's basically been adopted as the anthem for the Welsh national football team, who, of course, booked their place to the World Cup on Sunday. And if you were watching that game, you would have seen him sing it uh, both before and after the game on the field. After the game, he's just like shaking hands with Gareth Bale. All the players have this like reverence for this guy. He's 78 years old. He's a folk musician. He's a politician. He was actually president of Plaid Cymru for a while. His grandfather started the party, if I remember correctly. He served time in jail for like damaging road signs that were written in the English language because he's all about preserving the Welsh language. And this song is this like absolute rallying cry that was written as a kind of a opposition to Thatcherism and after the failed referendum in the late 70s, early 80s. And yeah, I just... Hearing it fill a stadium sounds incredible. And it's one of those beautiful moments of a team and an existing team and an existing mission, I suppose, finding an old song that just sums up everything about them. So does this mean that you were cheering on Wales against Ukraine? No, I mean, nobody could, right? And it was the most ridiculous thing because it's been, what, 64 years since Wales made a World Cup? Which obviously makes them as romantic an underdog outsider as you could almost possibly imagine. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously we're talking in the week when Ireland lost there at home to Ukraine a couple of nights later. And I mean, it's like, I think someone on Twitter was very quick to be like, you know, between this and like Ireland uh, sabotaging their World Cup campaign so they wouldn't have to go to Qatar. There's, you know, there can be no question of, of Ireland's virtue when it comes to sporting tournaments these days. The most humanitarian uh, national team around, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the, we're playing the long game, you know. Um that's a good choice, man. I, I like that one. Uh, threw me for a second there. I was like, what the fuck? Mm. My one to kick us off is um, maybe a bit of a gimme, but I kind of wanted to start this list in the manner of like of, of a cool walkout. And I'm not sure it gets cooler than walking into this. So that's uh, that's my number five. That's the Alan Parsons project. The track is serious and is, of course, well known for what, Cullum? The uh, Chicago Bulls, the walk on music for those lads. Um, of course, I'm inspired massively as well by watching The Last Dance, the Netflix documentary. I want to say two years ago now, the classic pandemic era, lost track of time oh, situation. Yeah. yeah, no, it is two years ago because it, it was peak pandemic. This was like lockdown one and the entire world committed to just spending five consecutive weekends learning about 1990s basketball. And I was right up there with Tiger King as well, right? It was kind of in yeah. that ilk. Which I did not watch, by the way. I was like, fuck that. However, Michael Jordan being a prick, yes, I'm in. Uh, and I should say as well, I mean, like, yeah, so this is what the Chicago Bulls, the infamous Chicago Bulls uh, team that just could not stop winning would walk out to. And I just love how kind of, like, Michael Mann 80s it is. Like, it's just, like it, yeah. this belongs in, in Manhunter or Miami Vice. Oh, it's it's heat. so. It feels like heat to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that every day of the week. Um, 
like it's it's prog, right? Like like this is like some weird kind of like synth prog nonsense. And oh, I'm yeah. just like this this is what the Chicago Bulls are walking out to, and like not like Beastie Boys or something. Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, all right, fair enough. But it totally fucking works. It's badass as hell. It instills a level of just like something's gonna happen here. And that's what we're kind of looking at with this list, like goosebump inducing. Like, I mean, like this does give me, it does make my hair stand up. I'm like, it's, it's, it's the quiet cool, I think. And I remember, also I should say as well, sorry, go on. I remember reading, I think it was the ringer wrote like an oral history of the music and the entrance and everything else. And by all accounts, like the bulls were so far ahead of the game, like no one else was turning off the lights in the arena and having a spotlight for the players. And they'd actually literally just switched over to like recorded music rather than a woman playing an organ. And so this was kind of really cutting edge. And it was a former radio DJ who heard this song, ironically, uh, before seeing a movie in a a cinema, was like, oh, oh, hang on. Like, that's the one, isn't it? Because before that, uh, when Michael Jordan came out, they used to play Thriller. Oh, no way. Did they? Jesus. Um... So yeah, I mean, I guess like one last thing I'll say about this one is, because I'm very much looking to set the tone here into my list, uh, this also holds kind of good memories for me as well, because like during that lockdown one moment, myself and uh, my now former housemate Richard Chambers, like we would watch The Last Dance together, and he's a big basketball guy, so I was kind of like, you know, living, I like basketball, but I wouldn't be an expert, so I was kind of like living vicariously through him while watching it and like asking him a million questions and stuff, so it was actually like, you know, a good time during the pandemic, and like, and I, and I, and I, and I, on each episode, you get a blast of this, and I'm like, oh, here we go. And like more and more, the more I got into it, the more I was like, I was fucking ready to walk out on the court with him. I would have been terrible, but nonetheless. <laughs> and that's my number five. All right. So from a show that everyone watched to bizarrely a TV broadcast that I never watched, but just know simply because of its iconic fame that this song was a soundtrack for an entire sport. That is Fleetwood Mac, that is The Chain, or for millions of people, that Formula One song. And (laughs) like I say, a full disclosure, I had zero exposure. I mean, I was watching on RTE for a start. And by all accounts, when ITV started broadcasting in 97, they changed the music. So there was like a 22-year gap, or was it, sorry, a 12-year gap before the BBC got the rights back and started using it again. Um, But, I mean, what a belter. What an absolute belter. And it just, it fits so perfectly in terms of like that rumbling bass line and the build and the crescendo. It actually sounds like racing. Oh yeah, man. It rules. Adam. For a song that has such a cult acclaim, uh, and it's a bit on the kind of regulate spectrum, I'm surprised we didn't have this yet, but I just consulted the archives. This is the first appearance on uh, for uh, on the top five for The Chain by Fleetwood Mac. Wow, it- is it the first Fleetwood Mac appearance at all? No, it is not. In No Encore 304, Top 5 Divorce Course songs, you had Go Your Own Way, David. <laughs> oh, of course I did. And uh, friend of the show, Zara Hedeman, had Fleetwood Mac Albatross for No... Oh, it would have been back in 2020. So, yeah, a long time back. 
It's been a is while. Is it Albatross? Is it Albatross? Is that the one that uh, Alan Partridge is air drumming along to in the car when he's at the when Lynn is visiting her mother's grave and he's just doing like some obnoxious air drumming? I feel like it might be Albatross, possibly. I feel like it it, it, it would make sense to me if it was. Uh, I should know as well. Like I mean, a comment we got this week on our Patreon, patreon.com slash noancore, where we put up episode previews and tell you what we'll be doing on the show this week. Uh, Chris O'Connor said, uh, for sports anthems, I always remember coming down to the living room when I was a buccal with my dad watching Formula One and the bridge from the chain coming on and blowing my mind. So yeah, it's a, it's a popular one. It's incredible. Um, the wasn't one, there like an RTE show years ago that they used the final countdown? I mean, like, like, like to, to use a piece stadium. of licensed music, sports stadium with Jimmy McGee, yeah. But sorry, go on, Colm. Well, what I was going to say as well, though, is there there is an entire generation of Formula One fans who've never heard the first three and a half or three minutes of this song. <laughs> like they, they don't know that you know I mean it is like like it's from rumours same as Go Your Own Way it is that sort of divorce core album where they're going through like all the volatility in the band and weighing up what it is for relationships and the ties that bind and like that's what the chain is um, but yeah most most people don't know that there's even vocals what I will say though is I think that uh, generationally that has been kind of corrected to a degree. I know Adam will appreciate this. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy using the chain uh, as it did in the Marvel Cinematic Universe I think has managed to kind of offset that balance a bit. And it is a great song and it's used great in that movie and it's used great here as well. Excellent choice. My number four is a little tenuous but that's what we do in the top five as you know. But I think I think it qualifies. So... This is sports adjacent, I think, to a degree. Now, this is almost like a very modern thing. I want you to imagine, if you will, that your your football team has signed a new player or has been linked to a new player who might be coming in, right? And people on YouTube will then someone will someone out there will uh, will sweat day and night to put together a highlight reel package of this exciting new winger who you've never heard of before, and you'll see all their tricks and skills over the course of the last few seasons. And you'll get some music over there. It can sometimes just be generic trance. For some reason, some people like to play Bring Me to Life by Evanescence. But I think we'd all like to know, we'd all like to agree, rather, that there's only one, and it's this one. It's like this, this is 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% Doesn't need his name up in lights, he just wants to be heard, whether it's the beat of the mic, he feels so unlike everybody else alone, in spite of the fact that some people still think that they know him, but fuck him, he knows the I think tenuous at the best is, is the best. <laughs> well, hang on, we're gonna let we're gonna let Judge Cullum decide, but for now, that was of course Fort Minor, the American hip-hop side project of Linkin Park co-frontman Mike Shinoda. And remember the name. Can you believe it took me this long to get Remember the name by Fort Minor onto No Encore, but here it is, guys. What a strange outfit, by the way. They're years active, 2004 to 2006, and 2015 to 2017. So they didn't do a lot. Uh, released just one album, I believe, called The Rising Tide, T-I-E-D, back in 2005. And uh, yeah, Remember the Name was actually like a double A-side single, I think. But yeah, look, come on, that this is its legacy. Adam says I'm being tenuous. I think that this song is forever linked to sport. I think it's got to be in a bunch of montages for like upcoming UFC fights and who knows what. That's a very good point. Yeah, I just with the UFC thing, you've you've won me back, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, not not just that as well, but I think like high school recruits looking for college scholarships. <laughs> like like I I listen to this and I'm just like getting flashbacks of like various scenes from Friday Night Lights or something. So so I I can see where you're coming from. I I will 
give it to you. Yes. But you just know that right now there is a Liverpool fan out there putting together the MV for Darwin Nunez, you know, best skills and goals, 21-22. Bit you of know, Joe Bellingham. Yeah, yeah. Is he going? Jude Bellingham, is he, is he moving? I don't know. We're, we're, we're not, we're not going to get too hardcore into current sports talk, but like... <laughs> I think that this transcended music, okay? That's my take. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> All right. Well, I am going I'm going to go basically the exact opposite direction with my number 3 from a song that maybe has a very tenuous link to sports to a song that very vitally has absolutely no life outside of sports whatsoever. Take me out to the ball game. Or take me out to the crowd. Or buy me some peanuts. Buy me some Cracker Jacks And I don't even care if we ever get back And it's a row, row, row for the home team And if they don't win, it's a shame And it's one and it's two and it's three strikes you're out That's Okay, so I know I said I was avoiding the overtly personal on my list, but... uh the whole steady singing about the Minnesota Twins is very, very column indeed. That is the whole steady doing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And like I say, I love it because it's entirely uncorrupted in the sense that like nobody's co-opted this for like a sing-along before the boxing match or like boozy fans chanting it in a pub afterwards because it's pretty much a nursery rhyme. It exists solely for families to sing along during the seventh inning stretch of a baseball game. And I love that. <laughs> so you've gone for the wholesome angle here while also bringing out a vocalist I cannot stand. I can't get around it. I just can't. And I, Carlo Malaco, friend of the show, adores Craig Finn. You're obviously a fan. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, he's apparently one of the best lyricists of his generation. But like, it's just, it's nails on a chalkboard to me. Like it's 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 Randy Newman and Greg Proops being thrown into a blender and someone putting on a full, a full speed. And I just can't, I can't, I can't do it. To be fair, I, I should say I, I've chosen this as a representation for the song. Obviously, there are so many different versions of it. And if you go to a game of the Chicago Cubs, for example, they, they, have, they have a different person sing it every game. Um, but it's just like, as you said earlier, the baseball, it's it's so soothing. Yeah. I, I've always felt that like, like if you're at the base, if you have three hours of a day to give over to a sport where nothing happens and they play 162 times a year. So really, the result doesn't matter. And you've got nothing else to do other than sit there with a beer in one hand and a hot dog in the other and watch the game. Life cannot be bad. (laughs) It is pretty great. Although I don't think that they sang this at the two games they went to. They seem to have a different version up there. And like there's this weird moment where like the cheerleaders kind of pop up around the place and like do this kind of weird choreograph routine. And it's like it's got this kind of like and then it's like, let's play ball yeah it's not as good as taking me out to the ball game I don't think but um, that's the Canadians for you like yeah I was was looking to disrupt I'm surprised this hasn't been used quote unquote ironically in like a Quentin Tarantino violent movie scene way but there's still time it could happen (laughs) yeah there's Uh, something to aspire to (laughs) go to baseball games everybody they're fun Uh, number three for me is uh, I think it's genuinely iconic let's have it Thank you. 
So yeah, we're gonna dip into some some TV theme tunes again. Uh, this is a song called Drag Racer by the Doug Wood Band, American musician called Doug Wood, who uh, played all the instruments and recorded this song by himself on a multi-track tape recorder. It was later picked up by the BBC for their snooker coverage, and it was the this is the sound of my childhood, just watching snooker. Uh, I love watching snooker. I've fallen out with it in recent years, uh, but for a time, the sound of this. Oh, man. I just knew. It's funny you mentioned the baseball thing. I heard this and I'm like, I'm going to have a good time. Apparently, as a kid, I was an old man. Adam. Uh, yeah, to echo this, this is like, this has brought back a serious amount of nostalgia for me. Like, visited my grandparents. I used to, like, go to my grandparents, like, by choice every weekend and stay there with them um, when they lived in Clondalk and, like, when I was a young child. And my grandfather who's since passed is upset it was like obsessed with snooker obsessed with snooker and there was like a local snooker club where he'd go down and play and i remember like as a kid being like can i go as well and like never being allowed go because i was too young and i didn't i was like i thought there was like no reason why but the reason was i wouldn't have been able to like even look over the table's ledge never mind anything else like so <laughs> when i was old enough i did eventually then go down with my grandfather. He taught me to play snooker. I'm now really good at snooker and pool. <laughs> Do you hear this? Do you hear this? Really good. I hear it. Big talk. <laughs> it, uh, listen, I still have my own queue. It's gathering dust out in the shed, but I, um, uh, I'm forever indebted to that man for teaching me the ways. And yeah, real, real nostalgia trip there, Dave. Thank you for that. Adam, I'm not good at snooker, but I would love to have a game of snooker with you. So Anytime. let's try and like let's make set, this happen, please. Just go easy on me, because I like I'm bad at pool, I'm bad at snooker, but I did. I, I played snooker for here and there, you know, just like for fun, and I loved it. And every time I'd play, I'd just imagine this in my head, essentially. But this was also the soundtrack as well, of course, for many uh, a young Irishman. The soundtrack of Ken Doherty winning the fucking World Championship back in '97. I want to say. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. Um, I must I must admit that in my school, or certainly where I grew up, if you were particularly good at pool or snooker, it meant that either you were very very wealthy and had a table in your home or it meant that you had a very liberal attitude towards attending school <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit of that as well like uh, from my i remember when my dad was growing up there was like that whole thing where he, he went to he went to school in finglas in a in benevan college and him and his friends would sometimes not come back from lunch they just go to the snooker hall and play snooker instead which was a stone's throw away and like they'd only decide to go when they had just gone to the chipper for lunch to like get chips for lunch on a Friday night or a Friday afternoon rather so yeah it was uh, yeah it's intrinsically linked to me I feel can't believe uh, you just rat your dad out like that, Adam, but fair enough. Listen, Cullen. he doesn't listen to the pod, he won't mind. I think there's a statute of limitations <laughs> on these things anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back to class, Mr. Shanahan. Uh, Cullum, <laughs> what have you got for us? All right, for my number two, it's this. To be fair, Cullum, I thought if there was going to be crossover, it could be this one. But for anyone who 
dove in for some reason at this point of the podcast and missed us a bit earlier. Tell us who this is and what it is. Yeah, so nice we heard it twice. This is Serious by the Alan Parsons Project. And uh, to be fair, I held back when you mentioned it as your number four because I found it really interesting um, reading about the song, kind of how it came about. Alan Parsons was a studio engineer. He'd worked with like the Beatles and Pink Floyd and was actually quite successful at the time. And... He had, uh, I guess, a friend and, and a colleague called Eric Wolfson, who was looking at film, as it was at the time, and guys like Stanley Kubrick and Hitchcock just becoming like these superstars and like bigger than their actors and the films themselves. And his theory was, well, maybe this will happen with engineers and producers. You should really make an album to kind of show your technical prowess and we'll use that as a launch pad for getting you more gigs. And that's what brought about the Alan Parsons Project. And obviously, it finally brought us this song. And it is just a remarkable piece of work. Yeah, it's glorious. And I think it's one of those ones where like, I'm, I'm more than happy with us having the crossover because it is that damn good. Also, so, it's been used by so many different teams at this point that we can just attribute it to different ones, you know. I have, I've picked Sirius as used by the Melbourne Rebels. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, for my number two, I, oh, man, I hesitated. I, I, I debated about this and I wasn't sure what to do. I was going to pick Brock Lesnar's entrance music because that is goosebump inducing, but I felt that bit obvious, Dave. Also, I'm quite certain that Richard picked it before when we did our top five wrestling themes a while ago. Go back and listen to that one. I don't know how many, how many people enjoyed that one, oh, but I know man, it was fun. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> that, that was another peak lockdown moment. It was, yeah. It was also like the end of like the season. It was before we were kind of like, and Craig was away. So I was like, all right, Craig, I'll show you what I can do. It's time. <laughs> so anyway, uh, in, in fact, I, I've kind of, I'm, I'm, con- I'm continuing a similar theme to what I've just done before, but I felt like this was just, just, this was just too big to ignore. So here's my number two. It's the sound of the summer. I have four words to describe that, and it's a truly jaunty <laughs> affair. You're not wrong. Uh, it is, of course, sticking with the British Broadcasting Corporation for some reason. It is their Wimbledon theme uh, of many, many years. I should note that previously the uh, the snooker theme that we heard before, they actually dropped that mm. uh, some years ago. Despite people being like, why would you drop this? It's totally perfect. I think they're still using the Wimbledon theme. If they're not, then they're fucking idiots, because, again... You hear it and you just, you can taste the grass on centre court, can't you? Also loved watching Wimbledon when I was a kid. It was like appointment viewing. It's the kind of stuff that you miss now when you have, you know, a job and you can't watch it all the time. I haven't seen Wimbledon in fucking years, but I used to be glued to it, man. And it really was like the announcement of summer. You know, this song was the fucking announcement of, you know, hotter days and longer, like longer nights, all that kind of stuff. And Wimbledon, like, with its wild pretentiousness and its incredible preciousness, it was this institution that I just adored, and I just loved even the sound of it, the sound of the racket hitting the ball, all that kind of jazz. But you got to kick it off in the right fashion. And I, I also, I, I like the juxtaposition of, like, you know, here's this very, you know, like, low-voiced commentators and, you know, like, prim and proper etiquette yeah. kicking off with this. This sounds like a Saturday morning knockabout game show. 
Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, that's something that the BBC specialised in, really, isn't it? Um, when you look at like Ski Sunday and Grandstand and tunes like that, they had they had that formula nailed. And of course, the fact that then, like you say, the, they were these iconic sporting institutions, although perhaps not skiing, um, you, you know, that kind of made them just famous and, and synonymized them with the sports. And yeah, I fully agree with you with Wimbledon. It was it was that mo- thing that was big enough to prompt like random Irish kids to buy like portable nets to put in the middle of the road, <laughs> albeit for like a fortnight and then back to the shed and never seen again. But yeah, quality tune for a, for, for a quality event. Hey, I'll have you know that you, you you take your jabs at skiing, but Adam Shanahan went skiing not so long ago. And it took its jabs at me, Dave. <laughs> it, it didn't hold back. There were some haymakers thrown there by the by the lovely blanket of white down the down the slopes. Yeah, um, came at me fast and hurt. <laughs> and uh, my friends are planning a return next year, and I will not be joining them because. Oh really? I uh, well, first of all, I have elected to go into self-employment this year, so definitely not a good time to be like you know, dro- hitting the slopes. Yeah, dropping like a lot of money on going skiing. It was probably the most like middle upper class thing I've ever done in my life, and, and it nearly killed and you. And it nearly killed me. So you know, that's me told. <laughs> Stay at home, watch Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah I think that's better. Call them. All right, so we're kind of sticking with the BBC here, at least partially. Certainly that's what introduced this to the sporting world, but it was towards the end of the first tournament it was used for that it really took on a life of its own. This is my number one. is a piece of music that even if we removed the sports stipulation here and just said goosebump inducing, I think it would be worthy of a place on this list. It is Nessun Dorma. Um, that is taken from Turandot, Puccini's final opera. And uh, for those who don't speak fluent Italian, it's a song about a woman who's going to be forced to marry a man if she's not able to guess his name. So all you can say is things have really changed for the better since the 1920s. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, musically, though, perhaps not, Cullum. This could be the, the pinnacle of it itself, right? Yeah, uh, no. But hang on. What sports in particular are you tying this to? Because like, it has, again, since its inception, taken on so many different kind of avenues, really, hasn't it? It has, but I mean, really, it is the World Cup song for me. It was used by the BBC as their theme song for the Italian 90, and that's why I was saying that, you know, they deserve a nod here. But of course, that tournament ended with... Um, Pavarotti uh, performing it and then the three tenor sorry I think it was actually the three tenors who did it uh, that World Cup they then proceeded to perform at the next three World Cup finals because everyone became so obsessed with it it actually just became a football song when Leicester City won the league a couple of years ago they had Andrea Bocelli this is what he sang and yeah I mean it's, it's it's as good as it gets to be honest I think 
What a sight that was of Claudio Ranieri, Uncle Claudio, just tearing up to Ness and Dorma as, Le- as Leicester City won the Premier League. <laughs> what a weird fucking clash that was. It's almost like it didn't happen, but it did, you know? I know, it was so um, perfect. And he's standing there and like they're surrounded by beautiful flowers. And it, it it's a very odd moment, which I guess is only fitting for what was a kind of a very odd occasion and a very odd season. I mean, listen, you think about, you know, beautiful, pristine, like indescribable romance and class, you think of Jamie Vardy. That's just the way of it. You know, I mean, the, like, the, there's no other there's no other combination in the world that, that makes sense more than this. Uh, a stunner, Cullum, an absolute stunner. What a choice for a number one. Uh, and I, I'm glad you picked football for your number one, because to go from the heights of, of 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 opera and the World Cup at a time, at a formative time for so many of us. And of course, I've previously discussed the Champions League and, you know, like, like we're, we're talking about apex football here, which leaves me no other option than to highlight the actual pinnacle of football itself as summed up by this 40-second clip. Let's go. It is, of course, the official theme tune to the Europa League. That's right, everybody. I've gone for the best. The gilded tournament of dreams, the Europa League, the UEFA Europa League that we all know. Thursday Night Football, that's where it's at. Uh, Again, we're hearkening back to lockdown memories here and Richard Chambers uh, brainwashing me, essentially, and convincing me that this was a banger and memifying it to such a degree that he would post videos on Twitter of Tony Soprano in his car bopping along to the Europa League theme, that cat that we all enjoy bopping along to the Europa League theme. <laughs> and in time, I became a person who would bop along to the Europa League thing. It just represents triumph, you know? It's absolutely perfect. Am I being ironic? Do I actually like it? I don't even know at this point. But when we decided on this, I had to have it at number one. It was number five, and then I thought, no, no, Dave, don't, don't Welsh out. Don't be a coward who goes and plays in the Champions League. Be the man, the myth and legend who pairs your team to Europa League glory on a Thursday evening. And that's my number one. <laughs> you, took, you took the top five very seriously. No top four football for you. <laughs> top six only. I must say, when you said you, when you said it was football and when it was very clear that you were teasing for something random, I honestly thought, and I'm surprised it hasn't featured neither of our lists, uh, Andreas Johnson's glorious... I thought about it. Um, It was used on, what coverage was it used on for like one season? Sky Sports, like early 2000s. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and in fairness, I went through all the Sky ones as well. Like, like they've had some belters. Like, you know, they used the time is now by by Maloko for a while. Um, They used Inner Smile by Texas for ages, which I thought was a strange one. Yeah. Um, What else did they use? Did they use Hall of Fame, possibly? That sounds like something they could have used. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think off the top of my head now, and all I can see is uh, Rachel Stevens doing more and more and more on the season launch ad. They didn't use it for the rest of sure, the season, yeah. but... 
I mean, yeah, like, like Glorious was a good one. Um, I I also enjoyed like that era of like early nineties Sky Sports when it was like on on it was like Welcome to Ford Super Sunday, and it was like you know here we go, here okay. we go, this is it, and it was very like blockbusters kind of theme tune or something. So. You get some random ones on occasion. Um, the one, yeah, you know, like, like I, th- I thought about, I, I thought about the football Italia theme, Jim. I think we've used that before. Um, I think we can all agree that that the fucking, you know, the World Cup twenty eighteen, everyone's summer was ruined by that Maroon Five Three Little Birds cover. So I didn't go there. That yeah. was the most triggering thing of all time. Diving for the remote control at the start of that ad. But um, no, I, I think we've run the gamut here. I, I think we've managed. I, I, to kind I think of... we've made some very solid choices, personally. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you feel that way. Um, anyway, listen, it's come to the time of the show where uh, we discuss, you know, the real champion of champions, the real goal in the top corner, the pot, the black, whatever sporting cliche you want. It's Adam Shanahan, Sonic Architect Adam to the stars. Uh, thank you so much for uh, guiding the ship, as always. Shipping isn't a sport, is it? Shipping. Shipping. Y- y- yachting, boating, I don't know. Yachting, um, boating. Yeah. Sailing. But uh, I had a great time with this one. There's a couple that I'm surprised didn't make the cut. Um, Go on. Namely, Barcelona by Freddie Mercury and Montserrat Caballé. I thought that yeah. I thought that would make I, I it. I hate Barcelona though is the problem. I <laughs> love that song. That song constantly and will always reduce me to tears anytime I listen to it. But when you're finished signing off, please come back to me because I want to take the liberty of exiting the show this week with the real national anthem. Okay, that's fine. I don't even know what he's preparing. It could be literally anything, but we're, we're going to trust Adam because in Adam we trust and in you we trust, listener, of course. Thank you so much for listening to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you can hit us up at patreon.com slash noencore for the price of pint. You get a bunch of bonus episodes, you get playlists, you get weekly episode previews and our undying love. And uh, if that's not something you want to do, that's fine. The only thing we would ask you to do is just tell a friend about the show. That's an easy thing to do. Word of mouth is the best way to get the podcast out there. Craig Fitzpatrick will be back next week. He might have more Primavera tales and we'll get back to normal service. But for now, I'm delighted to welcome back Colm Regan once again. And of course, you will come back to us soon, won't you? I will, of course, and hopefully uh, even more um, short of a gap than it was since episode 300. Definitely, definitely, yes. Uh, thank you very, very much, man. Um, like I say, professional that I am, definitely knew Craig wasn't going to be back in time. Definitely didn't scramble across the bow and <laughs> beg Cullum <laughs> to do the show with me this week. Uh, uh, yeah, good to be back. And we're back again quite soon. Um, for now, my name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And according to Sonic Architect Adam, playing us out is the national anthem. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.